Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every episode of the podcast, we discuss one Alkaline Trio song. This week's episode of the podcast is Week Week. the necessity now this week is week week yeah there was the especially with how much we say week in that intro that would have been very it's what yeah you don't notice it until you have to notice it yeah until the the form dictates the function well hey uh welcome to as you were a podcast about alkaline trio we are here in our brand new studio some nice digs you got here i feel like a real adult having an office yeah you've got a real office there's so much space in here to move i know You're not climbing over your bed anymore there's no there's no chloe just like on the bed yeah wanting she's on, to at our feet get onto my lap anymore that was a recent development so uh-huh. uh nice to have you in here david nice to have you back in town you were gone for some time i was nearly two whole weeks nearly two whole that's crazy yeah it was long um hey so uh this is a podcast about alkaline trio and what we do is we have a few playlists set up uh that are ordered chronologically um so we got we got a playlist number one that we've been we've been explaining Mm -hmm. to you all is the asian man records playlist for the alkaline trio we've got god damn it maybe i'll catch fire and the self-titled collection from the year 2000 but what we kind of didn't include or maybe glossed over or maybe it's part of the fine print in there Mm -hmm. is that we have a couple of extra songs that are hanging out in there as well yes yes uh we do have the rarities playlist but you know uh, there's a couple songs that don't really i think fit that you know, like with the Remain stuff, a song like Week Week, which we're talking about today, that wouldn't make a lot of sense to discuss there, in my opinion. Absolutely um, not. And so when it came up in our playlist and we were, we were both kind of just like, oh, yeah. 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 That's right. First song from the Alkaline Trio demo. Yes. In 1996, featuring Matt Skiba, Glenn Porter, and Rob... Doran. A band that if you uh, got into them in the mid-2000s, you would recognize one of those names. One of them. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I forget about that a lot, especially because we talk about Glenn a fair deal. And yeah. I think, you know, that's warranted, uh-huh. given how good he is. But, uh, you know, he was out of this band by the year 2000. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He, so it's like uh-huh. he was there for now for a band that's been around for 22 years. Right. Like a blip on the radar and rob doran even more so yeah he's, he's recorded on a handful of songs right you know? Glenn, glenn's like your friend from uh freshman year of high school he, he moves away and then and then at the end you graduate high school but you've really been hanging out with your with your new friend for the for the three years rob is like the the friend that you made in the summer of eighth grade <laughs> yeah yeah 
And then very quickly, like, you went to different schools and kind of forgot about each other. Right. So Rob played bass in this band for, what, a year, maybe? Yeah, I mean... He's on the demo. He's on the Sundial 7-inch. He's on the original recording of 97 from the Marks of Dick and Garza Drunk split, or comp, rather, on Johan's face. I think that's it. And Dan enters in 97 and is on the Four Year Longs Only EP, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, You're usually not, so I think we can go with that. If only because I, I believe he has some backing vocals on that. And I think that's his first recorded release with them. So like, yeah, you know, he wasn't in the band very long, but I do think when you're listening to this band and, you know, Dan has said, you know, to an extent that like, you know, he was a fan of Alkaline Trio and he was a fan of Rob's bass playing and Rob's bass playing on those early songs is very, very distinct it's, to me. Yeah, it's super distinct. And it's like, it's not totally different from Dan's because Dan does use a lot of chords. But what you really pick up on is the fact that the tone is markedly different. Like you yes. can hear, you can hear like the tiniest pluck from Dan's pick on his strings, the tone is just all the way up. And Rob's is a very, very warm, mm-hmm. very fuzzy tone that, I mean, it's it carries so much. And this song, really, it's it's the best performance, I would say, of of Rob bass yeah. playing wise. Yeah, I would say, it, it, for me, it's up there with 97 as both have really high points in things that I think he carries the song in. But this one, especially in the long instrumental sections that kind of serve as like a weird bridge between the faster part of the song. Yeah. Like, you know, the way he's just holding those notes and letting them decay, like it's, it's a really, you know, it's a really interesting performance. And I think this song just highlights a lot of what, you know, Alkaline Trio was pulling from in those early days that maybe got obscured as they figured themselves out a little more. And I think, like, by saying, highlighting the things that Alkaline Trio was pulling from in those days, we can say uh, with pretty pretty much complete certainty right here that we're talking about Jawbreaker, and we're specifically talking <laughs> yes. about Bivouac. Yes. yes, 100%. This is straight up pulled from the back half of Bivouac. Which, like... Bivouac's my favorite Jawbreaker record. You can listen to us talk about that band for like two hours on your other podcast, better yet, if that's the thing you're interested in. Of course it's the thing you're interested Um, in. You're interested in Tim. You want more Tim all the time. I I say it every day to myself. Uh, More Tim all the time. But yeah, I mean, this song is really working in that kind of like jagged, post-hardcore, post-punky tradition that Jawbreaker was really, you know, bringing to a lot of people into punk in the early to mid-90s. And when you consider when this, like, demo tape came out, Jawbreaker was had been a band up until basically that point. Right. So it's not like a lot of people, you know, there were other bands that sounded like Jawbreaker, but I think a lot of them were pulling more from Unfun um, or 24-Hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to see a band that was clearly indebted to either the weird parts of Unfun, you know, the longer, like, almost like them putting, like, doing a jam and putting, like, a sample on top of it and or Bivouac was, is kind of a novel thing to think about. Yeah, it's, it's super novel. And, you know, that, like, 
I really like the way that they take that concept where, you know, a jawbreaker part that would go for a minute and a half, two minutes, like kind of just bringing you to the end of the song. They do a really nice job of slicing that and putting it in for 20 seconds here and then going back into the verse. Totally. And I think they they do a good job of knowing how long to let it linger. Like the way, one of my favorite things about early Alkaline Trio is that I think Matt just wrote really good riffs. Like they're not technically difficult, but he could write a fucking riff. Yeah. And he does here in the way that it kind of builds up and does that little like chugga chugga part up into it again. Like, Uh you know, that's really smart. And it's really well done. And to see that on a band's demo and to see it in such a raw form, like the recording of this is not great. The you know, tone on Matt's guitar. I mean, you talk about goddamn its tone being bad. Like, yes. Geez. And that's something they talk about in the original Sin documentary, which came with like the reissue of Goddamn It 10 uh-huh. years ago, um, which is now celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Uh, but he didn't really, like, he had a weird tonal configuration of like a les paul and i think it was either into a marshall head or into an orange head running uh-huh. through a marshall or orange cab like it was this weird like combo platter of things yeah that is like very frail but also really chunky in, yeah. in a way where it doesn't articulate very well uh-huh. but when i listen to this i don't care about that i at yeah all. and it's all it's almost like the the tone on this song in particular with this riff like I I think that Matt is not aware of his style yet. No. Matt Matt feels like a very, very, like, he's learning how to play guitar, like, during this time, which is something that we've talked about before here. But this, to me, is just like a, like, this feels like a riff that he came up with, and it's maybe, like, the third riff that he's come up with that he liked. Yeah, ever. And, And that's something that I think is really... You know, so compelling about listening to a band in the early stages is that, you know, they're going to do things basically just on impulse. Right. Maybe not necessarily like learn knowledge, especially at the time Matt was young. And I've talked about it a lot, but like being a drummer, if you listen to Jerkwater, who like gets shit on a lot, but I think like, yeah, maybe they weren't great. But if you listen to his drumming on like the Drown 7 inch, like he clearly was pulling from that jawbreakery tradition he was uh-huh. clearly trying to play you know he's he's right he wasn't just doing standard like punk beats yeah, you know yeah. he was doing stuff that was pretty interesting and i think you could see at that point in time like how all of that leads to this how him going from shit like the traders and whatever to a band like jerkwater to this early alkaline trio material all feels like it's existing on a spectrum upward right yeah and i i think that it's like you're you're watching this band evolve and what happens with with uh you know musicians as they figure it out it's you get to a point where Matt kind of especially like he finds his comfort zone and he rides it for a really long time and you know eventually he incorporates more and you know going into like good morning era when he starts to like yeah you know really get into just you know writing kind of leads yeah this is you know this is before he's figured out octaves this is before he's seriously like oh this is my shit this is where I can do it and uh, there's something super intriguing about hearing that era of, of of a band before they yeah. before they know too much before they know how to be comfortable 
Totally. And I think you see that in the very first riff you hear on Week Week, which is like something he would never play again. Never. You know? And even in the context of that song, it doesn't make a lot of sense because he basically throws it away and then jumps into a few other ideas. Right. You know? But that's the appeal of it to me is that it's almost like a count off. Uh-huh. You know, that's the type of riff that exists because it's like, how do we start this song? It's, yeah. it's three people in a room being like, well, we need to get into it somehow. We don't want to all just click off sticks or like, it's just him leading to get to that little stop to say the first lyric. Right. You know, and it's all just a device to do that. But it's really effective. Once he sings, even then you can tell it's like, this dude's got like a, you know, his voice is not super produced. He's not totally comfortable with it. But you can tell he's like got something there. Yeah. And, I, and that's what really strikes me is that like even in its rawest form, in this lo fi demo tape production in the mid nineties, like there's something there. Right. To this band. Yeah. It's um you know, it's an interesting slice and there is a couple of there's a couple of uh aspects to this song that, you know, Glenn wrote the lyrics to it, mm-hmm. and and it's it's something that I didn't know. And listening to it, I was like, "Man, this is this is not like Matt Skiba's not. There's no skeletons in here. There's <laughs> yeah, about, there's nothing yeah. about drinking too many beers in here. Like, what's going on? And there's some really like weird lines in there that real weird Uh well and that's that's the story is like uh i remember seeing or reading an interview with matt where he talks about the someday the walls look greener line Uh is that like they all lived in a three flat together like the whole band and like some of their friends and glenn's bedroom was green and like this was basically like a journal entry poem thing that they took and turned into lyrics and you really understand like how weird Glenn's sensibilities were at the time. Yeah. You know, because there's certain lines in it that really make me think like, all right, that's a thing that a couple records later we'll see Matt Skiba using. Like, like caught on these fishhook eyes. Like, uh-huh. that's something you see with like, right. fix pry open my eyes. Absolutely. You know, you see, you see that and I think that allows Matt the space to indulge his weirder side because when you consider the other material on the demo, it's, it's not that, far into it yet right you know yeah. glenn's sundials much more impressionistic like, yeah sundials is like a little bit close it's interesting looking at it in terms of those contexts you know uh rob is is a working artist now he was mm-hmm. in a band called pitter patter uh pitter pat pitter pat that uh has records out on thrill jockey super experimental stuff yeah you know glenn and rob are are weird art guys and <laughs> yeah matt's, matt's this guy that's like kind of putting it together and it's kind of interesting to see like those parts come into play and and you know what he takes and what he uh you know totally indulges in as he moves forward with you know different people yeah it's an interesting, you know, bringing up Jawbreaker and bringing them up in the context of uh, Alkaline Trio here is taking from a lesser uh, utilized portion yeah. of Jawbreaker. You know, we, when we think of Jawbreaker, especially today, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's Dear You totally. and 24 Hour and even Unfun a little bit. And when we think of Alkaline Trio today we don't think about weird you know spacey instrumental like dark dirgy shit but this is this is in my opinion a 
pretty heavily influential piece of music and and this period of time too yeah yeah i mean i think one thing that gets glossed over a lot is when people talk about 90s punk they talk about the big glossed up version of it and that makes sense because that was the most successful version of it but the 90s were fucking weird you know when you really dig into it like a band like jawbreaker was pulling from a weirder place and there are moments on all of those records people love that are really weird, and I think people love them without maybe understanding it or acknowledging it, because it's easy in the context of pop songs to look past it. I think the same is true of Alkaline Trio. I think the same is true of, you know, name any band that was co-existing in that world. And right. I think Chicago and, and Northern California at that time were really kind of hotbeds for quote-unquote pop punk that was pulling from weirder artier experimental things because they were coexisting in spaces where a lot of that was happening right and i think in early alkaline trio the fact that they were playing you know they would either later you know a couple years later play with ska bands almost exclusively but in those early days they're playing with weird art rock chicago bands yeah And, and you can see that in their dna you know absolutely and you, yeah like bringing up thrill jockey or like the u.s maple line and i'm sure that there are so many people yeah out there who have listened to u.s maple because of that name drop and are just like what the fuck is yeah. this or knowing that like in that era like one of matt skiba's favorite bands was no means no yeah who are like one of the weirdest like most obtuse like art jazz punk bands to have ever existed you know and you can see him reaching for those things and I think this song, like you were saying, when you look at the lineage, you know, there are countless bands that, you know, cite Alkaline Trio as an influence and as a reference. But the ones that cite this early period, I would say from demo through God Damn It, maybe even They Will Catch Fire, is a very interesting, you know, potent mix. And shout out to one in particular, Boiler Man, who covered this on their who? last record. It's freaking most underappreciated Chicago band of the last seven years. I've, I miss them so much. I mean, I, I could do without Chris, but yeah. Well, I could do without Joey as well, but it should just be the gym. It should gym just guy be the show. gym guy show. Yeah, that's um, what we're getting at here. Well, you know, and and we're talking we're talking a lot about the the fact that this is this is a slice of the alkaline trio that like doesn't really live on or it's not the the ones that we that we think about immediately when we think about this band think about their influence and this is the only song from the demo that wasn't re-recorded yeah it wasn't on uh the self-titled compilation it didn't come out until the goddamn it reissue yeah it wasn't commercially available um and i mean i don't know why that was i think probably because it was kind of its own little island there with everything else getting redone right um but i do think part of it is that like by the time of the self-titled compilation like glenn was basically out of the band this was the only song he wrote lyrics to i don't even really know if they played this song very much beyond maybe those first few dozen shows right um well it is like it's a it's a weird song and like it's got a chorus but that chorus line is not like something you're gonna sing along with and it's catchy but it's like it's just like it's it's so it's close to what they do. Yeah. It's formulaic in that way, but it's just so driving and so like you have to really like keep pace with everything that Matt's saying. There's like very There's a little... ton of tempo changes yeah. too. Like it's just up and down and up and down uh-huh. and like but 
I don't know. I've always loved that quote unquote chorus. Yeah. Because it doesn't really make any sense, right. but it's so good. And like you said, the Boilerman cover of it, I think really hits on, you know, just what made that song work is that it's just a commitment to like the weirdness of it. Yeah. It's not trying to smooth out the edges. It's not trying to like turn this into like a glossy pop song. It's just like, this is what we want to make. And it's, that's what it is. Right. And I think Boilerman, like you said, is a band that really carried on that tradition for a while. And I think it's hard to be a band like that because, you know, God, it sounds like I'm giving Boilerman compliments, but, uh, you know, it's hard Don't to be a band it. like that because people never really appreciate it until generally it's in the rear view. Right. Because it's like, it's like you got, when, when we think of pop punk, we think about singing along. And when you, when you make something that's like catchy, but doesn't really have like sing-along parts to it. It's yeah. like, okay, you can't get you can't get that crowd and other sects of punk are just like, you know, this is weak, fuck this. No, totally. And I, I think, you know, it's because you're really putting a limb out to like the weirdos. Yeah. And not always are the weirdos going to be into pop punk. Right. Or have any interest for it where even for them it's like, oh, I like the weird part, but I don't like the punk part uh-huh. you know and you know it's it's it, you're never enough of one thing for whomever and sometimes bands like that do succeed but it's exceptionally rare yeah. you know um so yeah i mean i think like it makes sense why people don't do that long term <laughs> you know because you have to really make a commitment to like loving it and being poor and making it work uh-huh. and like that's fine i think a lot of great stuff comes from that but also like you know I understand as a songwriter why you also feel like you can have exhausted that and that sometimes you're just like, am I just putting this in to fuck with it? You know, is it actually benefiting the final product? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, I think at this point, if you're going to make any type of music, you might as well commit to being poor. Yes. But hey, David, what do you rank this song? Um, I, I went back and forth and I've been going back and forth in my head the entire uh-huh. time we've been doing this. Because I love it as an artifact, and I really do love it as a song. Trying to put it into the context of the canon, I think it's really important for me. Uh huh. This gets four and a half skulls out of five. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it four skulls out of five. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, I like that you you put so much preamble to your rankings, and half the time just like, yeah, that's what it is. I've spent so much time in my life arguing about grades on record reviews that it's impossible for me to not feel the need to have to justify it yeah <laughs> that's funny i just I, I i was moving and i i took uh i've been hanging my my college diploma on my bathroom wall for the last you know seven years of my life mm-hmm. and now i'm now I'm moving into a into a place with somebody who i guess is not not too keen on me turning our home into a you know, pile of dog shit. So sure. I had to had to retire that. But as I was like waiting on the movers, and I had I took my diploma and like threw it in a bag, and then I was sitting there and I was like, I just made this list of like best three album runs of all time, and, mm-hmm. and I I just like that I put it there in my college diploma is all. Beautiful. I would love. We should talk about the best three album runs of all time in another podcast. Hey, that's a conversation for a different day. But if you like this conversation, uh, tell a friend about it. Subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, 
uh, Stitcher. Hit us up on Twitter. He's at DB Anthony. I'm at Better Yet Pod. Uh, check out my other podcast, Better Yet. We're coming up on the uh, 100th episode. and It'll probably be your best episode, if well, I had to guess. I would think so. And uh, my other podcast, Post, Post Markdom. It's a pro wrestling podcast. And David's got something in the works. Be out very soon. We'll let you know when it's there and when it's available. But thank you for continuing to come back and spend this time with us. We like spending the time together. So we will be back next week. Thanks, Bubba's. Um.